Hello, everyone. Welcome to BYOB. What a pleasure to be back with you all. I'm with Mr. Jack Hussey, as ever. How are you, sir? Oi, oi. All good, mate. How are you doing? Are you as sad to be saying goodbye to spooky season? Do you know what? I am and I'm not. I get like shock, scary movies scare me. So like it's been quite funny. I've had to like build myself up to to every time I do a watch. I'm like, okay, <laughs> ready to go now. I've got to have <laughs> some how great you found stuff. It? What, what's, been, what, what's been the scariest one we've done for you? Scariest of scary season. Um, so we've had, I would go Psycho, I think. What about for you? Well, actually, I don't think that was technically part of our spooky season. Was that no, technically no. not in spooky season? No, I don't think it so was. So technically, no. we technically we'd have um, the Conjuring twenty eight days later, um, Shining, and Scream. Mm-hmm. Probably a mixture of uh, the Shining and the Conjuring. What about you? Uh, yeah, I'll probably go with. Oof. Probably go The Shining still. I think it still it holds up. But I agree with you. It's funny to say, isn't it? Like Psycho, what is it, 1950s, 1960s film? Still yeah. stands up against a lot of the horror movies of today. That's why, I guess, why it's got such an enduring legacy, right? What a movie. Yeah. Well, And also, I think, not to go down that rabbit hole, but I think the fact that it's set back in the day and when you are away from everything and disconnected from society back in there, you were actually disconnected as opposed to, oh, mm-hmm. my God, there's a killer coming after me, but I'm also waiting for a Deliveroo, so maybe my driver can come and <laughs> kick his ass. Um, so, yeah, it, like I feel like the, the, the idea of being actually further removed is, is what makes it so frightening. And The Shining kind of had that as well. Mm. So it's a little bit more, there's a little bit more kind of, um yeah i don't know there's just a little bit there feels like a little bit more to them to to get stuck into um have you had a uh have you had a successful week of cinema ring i have mate yeah well i've had killers of the flower moon and i've had five nights at freddy's as well this week how about you did you get well, around to I, killers, killers of the flower moon in the end killers of the flower mooned it um and uh i've got some great i've got some great anecdotes on killer of the flower moon go, go um, on let's, let's, let's pile into it i mean we did we did record our uh, sorry mate yeah well no no, no. You, you you go on i was just about to say the same as you you go well as i said we did record our like initial my initial thoughts on killers of the flower moon because i thought come on we got we got a ride on this if we're going to be serious about this right we've got to be getting reviews out asap asap that's what it's all about isn't it timely content so we got one of those reviews up but you hadn't seen it at that point so it's going to be good to have more of a you know a, a dialogue on the film should we say yeah so let me i've got a couple of things that i'll give you straight away which were probably not the standard things that you'd necessarily hear but the thing that was jumping out at me straight away runtime this is i was going to an eight o'clock showing so i sent um I sent producer Purdy and Jack my my selected snack choice of like a 15-pint pitcher of Fanta and my salted and mixed popcorn. Looked up the calories on the the, the sweet popcorn and it was coming yeah, in at like frightening amounts. So I was like, well, I'll get mixed then. <laughs> and, then <it's> a, <laughs> and then it's a healthy middle ground. Um, but then me and the missus also got a massive bucket of um, pick and mix as well. So cancelled that. Um, got into the cinema. Got going. First scenes, the opening sequences are phenomenal. It is so, so well played. A lot of the casting is 
clearly just sensational from just even looking at the, if you look at the IMDb, you'll look at it and go, okay, we're in for a treat here. Um, undeniably, uh, Lily Gladstone is just incredible. F- far MVP, and away, right? far and away the MVP of this film. She has this incredible subtlety with her face. She's, striking like i don't know how you yeah. describe this without people going full like, look at you you fancy her. it's like it's not that at all she's striking you can't help but be mesmerized by her on-screen presence she there's a scene where she's riding in the back of a car and leonardo leonardo dicaprio's character is basically her driver in at this part of the film and she's just pulling little faces at him little subtle faces and just little bits of language that she throws at him and you can't help but be so drawn to her so she's standing up for me totally agree with you if you haven't seen jack's sort of more in-depth review i definitely go and give that a look on youtube um the there's a couple of bits in the film that i think will probably get lost because of the the runtime so there were some really amazing little flickers um around the Osage um kind of religion and spirituality which i thought was fascinating mm-hmm. um there was a really amazing inclu- inclusion that are uh, that given the nature of the storytelling and how the the story is told i.e the native american people and uh, the way that white people were so unbelievably cold and ruthless and horrendous in their their treatment the way that they went about trying to take everything from uh, the community um there's kind of little bits of beauty that you you maybe aren't able to appreciate in the same way the the um the pacing was my probably my biggest issue I thought that the first i think you picked up on it as well jack you sort of said three hours 26 is a is a hefty run time and it not a lot happens at times at times there's real periods of deep drawn out um dialogue discussion um discussion about committing horrendous acts but delivered in such a cold way i don't know if you found Mm. this but i felt a real coldness to the film which is obviously very deliberate right like the way that the Burkhart, William Hale, Robert De Niro's character, and Ernest Burkhart, and then um, Byron, is it the, the name of this? Byron Burkhart. The way that they behave is so cold at times. that it's, well, it's, like, times it's like Scorsese, he's removing that dramatic, I think he's very purposefully removing that dramatized depiction of what this type of thing is. He's very much normalizing it. And I've seen that um, reacted to in you know, pretty uh, negative terms by uh, some people on Twitter about it, saying that it you, you can't normalise this type of thing. You have to make it abundantly clear to an audience that these people are terrible. But I think, it, you know, I just, I guess this is going to be one of Scorsese's last movies, right? He's trying to make that point that the monster is the guy that lives next door to you. It's not this thing that we imagine that it is, right? Yeah, and with less, uh, and the fact that there is, he sort of syringed out, siphoned out the kind of filminess of it all, the Hollywoodness of it. You know, like th- there was the, obviously that discussion point that you had that that um, Jesse Plemons' his character, who plays an FBI agent, doesn't come in and save the day. Leonardo DiCaprio was going to be that character, and and the way that it was set was the idea of the FBI coming and save the day. Because I think there's a really interesting point around the emergence of the FBI and the launch of the FBI, which is a big, a big part of this film, but it's very carefully 
uh, ignored as the key story point. You know, it, it doesn't distract focus or attention from what is the the real issues at the heart of this film. Um, so the big thing for me, um, the pacing is very methodical and deliberate and slow. Uh, I struggled with that a bit. I felt that perhaps it didn't need to be of that length. Um, I felt a coldness towards the characters with the exception of Molly Burkhart because Lily Gladstone's performance is just sensational. But as you said, the lack of drama just made me feel so um, like, this is horrible. This is just horrible. Um, but then again, that's like the power of the, the storytelling, the power of the film. Um, but if I could just give one last thing, I had a moment where I sat there and I was sort of being a little bit of a film wanker and I was going like, no, the film needs to be this long. The film needs to be this long. And then I sort of was, found myself getting a bit tired and I was like, it's 11 PM. I was like, no, no, I've got, it's fine. The film needs to be long. And then I just heard out of nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> and I looked across and we're in the Odeon with the reclining seats and there's a guy sat mouth wide open holding onto a bottle of drink lying there fast asleep snoring so loudly that at points you couldn't hear the dialogue so I was like okay listen that that's maybe a very good metaphor but it's also I think that's a point right maybe the guy was just sleepy but the film is not bombastic in the sense that it's like the, uh, your point was brilliant. It's not like how the trailer might make you think no. that it would be. You know, it's not like The Departed. I, I it's not like Goodfellas. You know, no. it's not like Casino. No. You know, don't go in thinking you're going to get that because you won't. Now, I need to fire the spoiler alarm, and I know we probably need to wrap this chat up because we've done so much on this film already. But spoiler alarm. So, if you are going to see the film, please just skip this next minute. Can I ask you a question, Jack? Do you think? That Ernest Burkhart's character, like played by Leonardo DiCaprio, Leonardo DiCaprio's characters, Leonardo DiCaprio's character, Ernest Burkhart, hmm. do you think he loved Lily? Uh, I think he had a very conflicted feeling about it. Um, but I mean, he, he says, doesn't he, there's that one point in the script where he says, I love money almost as much as I love my wife. But I think that's very purposeful because ultimately he chooses the money over her. He continues to inject her with the poison um, and stands by and lets her family get murdered. And that really is it's not really love for me. Maybe there's a sense of familiarity there. Maybe there's a sense of a fondness for her, um, but not, not a real love. I don't think. Um, I think he, he struck me as a pretty reprehensible person, pretty reprehensible character to be honest. Yeah. And look, huge props to Robert De Niro as well on, on his performance. Someone put in one of the comments that we'll go into later on, just talking about De Niro as a performer. He was exquisite in this, like yeah. exquisite. So, and it feels strange to say that his performance was exquisite for such a detestable and abhorrent character, but it was a, it was a very well delivered performance. Um, any other bits you wanted to get onto on that one, mate? Uh, I just wanted to ask you, you know, on the, on the Oscars chat, you thinking uh, De Niro rivals Downey Jr. for the for the best supporting? I think De Niro gets it. I think at the moment Robert De Niro wins best supporting for me. I think at the moment Lily Gladstone is so clear, but I know there's yeah. another couple of big films to come. But she's so clear for me in terms of um, performances. And then I think Leo is nominated. I think Killian Murphy still for me. Um, yeah, it's got to be. 
King Killian. Gotta be him, man. Come on. I'm also thinking you're we're pro- like seems like a weird one to jump to, but I think we're probably looking at a soundtrack winner with Oppenheimer, best score there as well. Yeah. yeah. Um I've um, just hearing it everywhere. <laughs> it's what's his name as well? The the composer that did the Mandalorian soundtrack. Gustavs. Such a good tune. Such a tune. That's a real like um, gym psych up tune, that one. I'm not don't worry, so, producer Purdy. I'm not gonna start talking about bulking and gym. gains again. Like, you know. Classic gym bro chat on BYOB. Um do you wanna go <laughs> to Five Nights at Freddy's, mate? Yeah, let's go on to Five Nights at Freddy's. Um I, I wanna ask you up front, Ben, Five Nights at Freddy's. Do you know anything about this film? Uh, like this is this is the real time to show full you disclosure. All bagged credentials. I, I know nothing about Five Nights at Freddy's. So Five Nights at Freddy's is one of those things. I know the the movie now is based upon a very popular game, like mobile game. Um, and it's one of those okay. things I've seen in the past and I've been scrolling through the app store, you know, ahead of like a long journey or something where you think, oh, I'll just download something like, you know, Wudoku or something like that, something I can just play on my phone idly. And I always end up scrolling past this thing, Five Nights at Freddy's, with this this image of like a horrifying robotic monster bear type thing yeah i'm looking at pictures of it now it's it's quite unsettling yeah it's unpleasant right um so it, it turns out that five nights of freddy's has quite the uh the, quite the fan base i went to watch it last night on its opening night a wednesday a wednesday night out in the suburbs Usually, Cold wednesday night in the suburbs can it cut it well yeah <laughs> exactly that mate it can it can indeed because generally speaking um i'll go to these and there'll be two or three other people in the screen right the sort of time we'll go we usually go to the eight thirty screening two or three people in the screen means you can kind of stretch out you don't have to worry too much about people coughing all that type of stuff right things that annoy me <laughs> in the cinema. we are so old <laughs> that is a genuine concern stop coughing <laughs> I, mate, I can't. I think it's Miss Miss Phoner, isn't it? Like the the when I once I hear something, I'll I'll, I'll uh, very briefly. Last time when I was in Not the Nun Two, one of them, one of the films, there was a lad sat on the same row as me, and he was one by one. He had a pack of wine gums. He was sat there eating them one by one with his mouth open. <laughs> That's your. I and know this about you anyway. He, stopped eating it, he would chuck another one in. <laughs> And I, mate, honestly, trying to watch a film with that, I was so close, so close to being like, mate, can you eat in your mouth shut, please? You know, I thought I can't, I just can't do that. But Five Nights at Freddy's, so Quiet Night in Suburbia or not, um, the cinema's absolutely packed. I would say the average age, I would say, like, I'm not going to make any crass jokes about certain types of registers or anything like that but i would say <laughs> I felt like, on one uh, uh, this reputable gentleman given the average age of the clientele in there i would say it ranged from about 15 and i would say at it's very oldest you're talking 21 22 kind of but i'd say the average age probably 17 18 maybe is, on, it, on a, average. is it the film of 15 is films of film 15 a- which i believe was and it, it met with an air of disappointment from lots of the fan base um, oh, right. But just to give you a kind of brief synopsis, so it's basically it's, it's based on this popular, it's an independent horror game as well, um, created by a guy called Scott Cawthorn. Um, 
So the premise of the game, at least, was that you're a security guard, you're a night watchman at Freddy Fazbear's Pizzeria, which is like this family-friendly pizza restaurant filled with these weird animatronic characters. So that's that bear and stuff that I'm talking about. You've got a bear, you've got a chick, you've got a rabbit, you've got a fox, like a pirate fox with a hook and all this type of thing. Um, and the, the basic sort of synopsis of the game is that, you know, you, you play the role of this night caretaker who has to stop these animatronics from getting into your office at night. They come to life and they're coming to get you. And you have to like manage different resources and all this type of thing. So obviously, as you, as you can imagine, like the 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 movie has to expand. It has to tell a bit more of a story. You can't just like be sat um, in this first person role, right? And so, what I understand is from from the reading I've done is that they've created a bit of additional kind of law, if you like, for the film that sits in with the game. Because the game, it it does seem to have a very, like, it's part of the real, like, stan culture. Do you know what I mean? It seems to have a real mm-hmm. ardent fan base. Like, just to, again, to, to, to flip back to my experience in the cinema, when the lights went down, when the trailers were finished, when the lights went down and you saw, you know, Five Nights at Freddy's, 15 rated, the cinema erupted like England had scored a goal. Like, cheering, clapping. Are you joking? I'm not joking, mate. Cheering, clapping people standing up already doing like a standing ovation for like literally the, the film just starting. Um, so like, no we're talking about proper, like, you know, proper stand culture around this, wow. but the film itself, um, it, it kind of plugs into the game law. You play a guy. Well, you don't play the movie centers around, um, a guy called Mike, Mike Schmidt, I believe who is played by, um, I want to say, he's the guy that plays Peter in the uh, in the Hunger Games. I'm just going to find... Josh, Josh Hutchison. Josh Hutchison, there we go. So it's played by Josh Hutchison. Um, he's a guy dealing with some personal trauma, um, and that personal trauma sees him bounce from job to job. Uh, he keeps getting fired. He keeps not being able to stick out these these kind of jobs because of these ghosts, these things that plague him. Um, he's trying to keep custody of his younger sister, Abby, um, because their aunt is trying to, the wicked aunt is trying to take her away from him. So he's trying to get his life in order. Um, he goes to see like this job counsellor, played by, funnily enough, Matthew Lilliard, who we are going to be talking about a bit later on in our screen review, um, uh, who plays, yeah, basically his jobs counsellor, who tells him, look, you know, I don't know if you'll want this job, but there is a job. And the job is at Freddy Fazbear's Pizzeria. Um, the, 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 the pizza joint is no longer serving customers. It's no longer in action. He's just got the brief that the owner of it, it was his life's work. He doesn't want to take the wrecking ball to it. He just wants somebody to look after it because he's not ready to let go of it yet. This guy's like, cool, dream job, fine. Easy for me. Um, he, uh, he's somebody who's exploring this particular, so Mike, the main character, is exploring this particular kind of brand of dream therapy in order to overcome his demons. Um, so he kind of sees this as an opportunity to just come into this place where there's very little to do, pop a few sleeping pills, and just have a night's sleep as he normally would and carry on with this, this dream therapy. Um, 
And as you can imagine, things take a bit of a turn with these animatronic kind of figures that are in there. Um, and you start to see, so you, you basically see Mike's world start to intertwine with this eerie aura, this eerie world, this dark past, these dark happenings that seem to be centered at this this pizza restaurant, which is supposed to be a lovely family-friendly venue with these lovely walking, talking, state-of-the-art animatronic figures. But obviously beneath that lies um, a more sinister side, which has you know bigger repercussions for Mike personally as the film rolls on. I won't say much more than that. What I will say is that I can tell that obviously there, are cert- there was a lot of fan servicing there. So for anybody watching this who is a fan of the game, who wants to know um, if the, you know, if the film services that scratches that itch it does there were lots of like people would it was so funny it was such a funny experience like one of the characters would say a certain line or a certain thing and there'd be huge cheers again from the crowd do you know what i mean like everyone is good and so charlotte and i like well that's obviously something of some significance and we all know this right you know it when you're more invested in you know like a star wars franchise or something like that we've spoken about it before and you see like luke skywalker pop up in the mandalorian you're like woohoo! you know it's it's that kind of cool thing so i guess there are these different little bits that happen the other thing is as well there's um there's quite a few YouTubers that pop up in cameos as well. That oh, really? I uh, see. So that's very yeah, much the kind of zeitgeist, right? Yeah. And, you know, this is this is me showing my age. I have no idea. Like, I see somebody come on screen and everybody's losing their shit. And I'm like, I've got no idea who that is. Literally no idea. Um, <laughs> like a Tim Pot Avengers. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. So you've, you've got that. So it does seem to, um, it, it does seem to sort of fan service quite a bit. Now, this is the thing, right? I, I understand, right? I understand fan servicing. I understand when something is made for stands, right? When it is made for things. So I can, I can happily say this movie was not made for me, right? Um, because I would say as a cinema lover, as somebody that loves the horror genre, I did go to this film and think, and I'm going to use, I'm going to use one of Gen Z's words against them. I thought it was pretty mid. That's what I'm going to say. Right. Five Nights okay. Freddy's. There were some fun elements to it. There was definitely a decent amount. It has that kind of Blumhouse sheen to it. There's a, a good few notes in there, a good few creepy kind of beats. But for me, as a as a movie girl watching this without knowing the law, without knowing much about the film, uh, you know, what it was going to be, what I had in store for me. I was a little disappointed when I was told that this is kind of the most terrifying film. And I can, I can appreciate maybe the experience playing the game when I think part of the, the thing of the game is you literally have a torch and you're walking around a dark building and you're shining a torch and then suddenly you turn a corner and there's a horrifying. So is the game supposed to be scary? The game is said to be terrifying, um, like, oh, wow. like particularly scary, like one of the scariest games ever made kind of thing. Um, oh, wow, okay. And I would say that the film is very much not. The film is actually, do you know what? The, what I would say is, right, so I don't sound like I'm sounding too harsh, the film's very enjoyable. It's actually quite funny. Like the, the script is right. decent enough. I think it's pretty self-aware. I think it knows what it is. I don't think it's got any pretension to it. Um and I think that's fine. I just, 
like I said, I don't think it was that scary. And I wonder, and this is what I was sort of the point I was making at the top when I was saying that it was met with a bit of disappointment that the film um, was only a PG 13 in America. I believe a 15 here or a 12, I think it was a 15 here though. Um, is that, you know, I, I think some people were worried that that was going to compromise on the, the adult factor, the fear factor, the gore, the blood. Um, and it does. I think, I guess the studios have made a decision that they want to get a younger audience in there. So they're not going to go for an 18 because they know that's, that's, that's the people who are going to go and watch it. Because I would say there was nobody, nobody even my age, let alone anybody older, um, in the, in the screen last time. And that's not to say no older people are going to go and watch it. I think the game's 10, 15 years old. So it's, it's perfectly feasible that there's people in their thirties who are going to be going mm. to watch it. No shame, but it does seem to be very much a cult thing with a very young audience. Um, and just because Charlotte made the good point, she was like, just listen to what a few people are saying around here as well, because it'd be good to get some like just a peer review. Do you know what I mean? As we were leaving the cinema, um, oh, that's and, a really good point. Well done, Charlotte. That's such a clever thing. I never, yeah. That. And they uh, most of most of the, uh, the those Gen Zs that I observed, they seemed to like it, but they seemed to say as well, it wasn't very scary. They were kind of disappointed by how not scary it was. But I think most of them felt that it was pretty. And this is just you know, this is just hearing a few conversations as you're walking out. Most of them seemed to say it was good. They seemed to like certain Easter eggs. They seemed to like how things were teeing up. They were all saying. There's definitely going to be a sequel. There's definitely going to be a sequel because right, okay. I think a lot of it okay. has all been teed up. Um, so yeah, you know, fine. I think fine. But for me still, like I say, for me, as somebody that's not invested in the Five Nights at Freddy lore, um, but was going into this open-minded, completely open-minded, I would still, I'd struggle to give this more than two and a half out of five, I'd say. Wow. Okay. Okay. That's, uh, like, I see, I, I, given the amount of I tried to avoid anything on this because it just didn't look my cup of tea but there was so much hype there was so yeah. much chatter about this and I yeah. thought it might actually be a bit better than that but the fact that it's a mid I, I might avoid this <laughs> might avoid this one maybe three and maybe three, three. if I'm being kind maybe three out of five you know but that's that's me being kind what would you give kids the flower moon uh yeah I'd, I'd, I'm going sort of four four and a half yeah, and when you stand it next to Oppenheimer, uh, Oppenheimer still I, I I prefer Oppenheimer of the two of them. Yeah, I think Oppen. If 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 you are doing like films this year out of five, but when we get to the end of the year, I think Oppenheimer will be the benchmark. I think it'll be the I think it'll be like comfortably the benchmark for for best film. Um, should we t- do some comments really quickly before we get into yeah. Scream? We've got some lovely comments this week. So thank you so, so much for getting involved. It's it's so nice reading these. And because we've been doing this for a, for a while now, we kind of like get different comments on different platforms and try to make sure that we don't miss them all. So if we don't get back to you, apologies and and nudge us because we'd absolutely love to hear from everyone. So firstly, uh, Wayno said... This is of 28 Days Later. Zombie Infected is my favorite sub of the horror genre, especially in a city setting like this where we get to see the director's version of how things would look after it all goes tits up. And Boyle nailed it. I don't like the sprinting dead usually, but this was brilliant. Um, Mate, I I actually loved the idea of the zombies being sprinting. You know, I thought it was was huge for me. It really adds... 
a massive layer of jeopardy to it, doesn't it? But I think it, it's it's a very different it's a very different thing because at the same time you can watch the old black and white Night of the Living Dead, which is proper proper staggering zombies, and that's mm. horrifying mm. as well. The way you see it kind of slowly build and build and build, where there's just a sea of these staggering zombies where it's almost just like a wall of death coming towards you. It, there's, there's, you know, it's, something it's, in that it's, too, isn't there? Yeah. There's, there's a different beat to it. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, who have we got next? Oh, this is a really good one. This was on YouTube. Delta B nine, seven, six, eight was talking about the Taylor Swift discussion that we had. Now, last time out, you might have heard, we basically were saying, um, or I was saying that, the fact that last weekend there wasn't a single film that was new that you could see at the cinema. This is maybe two week- weekends ago now. Um, there wasn't a single film that you could see that was new at the cinema because every single showtime was taken up by Taylor Swift. So Delta B says, I honestly think this is still the exception, not the rule, and will stay that way for the foreseeable future. It's a combination of making up for the lack of concerts during coronavirus, the cult-like fan base of one specific artist, and a few other circumstances like Taylor Swift's re-recording project and current relationship drama that happened to boost the artist's popularity even higher, all this at a time when normal films are struggling. I think it's safe to say that the film business will be able to keep getting back on its feet. Hollywood, thankfully, won't have to worry about being thwacked in the sack by 50 million Swifties every week. <laughs> very good turn of phrase. And a really, I, do you know what? A really good sort sack. of um, comment, don't you think? That's such a, like, well, I mean, interestingly articulated, but well put point. Yeah, yeah. Really like that. Do you want to do the next ones? Well, yeah, D, I mean, DJ Chris Vibes, an equally valid point on our Taylor Swift discussion um was but yeah perhaps slightly well no definitely less uh less weighty than the last one um it's probably a better experience than fast and the furious 24 or transformers 17 fair point fair point when yep, we're talking very about fair. yeah very you know fair. kind of i mean what was what what else was on that weekend when um taylor swift was apparently hogging the whole cinema was expendables 4 you know, so <laughs> Expendables forty seven. Maybe how is there to... only four expendable films? I don't know. I, I don't I think I watched the first one because I quite like the idea of it, the novelty, and then that soon wore off. I don't I haven't seen another one of those. I don't no. really intend to. Yeah, absolutely. Um and then last one, new for Matt said have to ask, did you lads study film or work in the industry? I consider myself a bit of a film nerd, but some of the stuff you guys chat about leaves me totally in the dark. Yeah, so point to our egos there, Matt. Thank you very much, yeah. mate. You know. <laughs> oh, man, it's so good. Um, do you know what? I You, you go first on this because you actually have ri- a right to be good about <laughs> film about stuff. That. You actually yeah, studied it. Right. Well, yeah, I studied film and uh, I still kind of study it. I read books about screenwriting and i'm still i'm always always albeit unsuccessfully writing and one day i've always said that do you know do you know one of my things i always said mate like when i left university and stuff i've wanted to i'll I'll say just quick i've wanted to make movies animations and stuff since i was about seven eight years old like since i was watching like wallace and gromit and all that i was like that's what i want to do like i want to make stories and i've always written and done silly little stories and all this type of thing um and so, yeah, I've just always, I've had just such a love for cinema and always, you know, it, it's funny because I, I do so much talking about football and so much my persona is wrapped up in football, but 
I always sort of secretly say to people, I know like cinema's like my real love. Do you know what I mean? Like, but yeah. I still love Spurs, Coys, 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 Coys. But still, <laughs> you know, I, uh, it's different, isn't it? It's a different, it, it's, it's great because there's still that, you know, as as Maurizio Pochettino once said, uh, you know, football, there's certain feelings that you just can't have without football. And I agree with that. But I also get that from cinema in a different way. Yeah, I, do you know what I mean? I so. totally agree. Totally agree. Um, okay, so thank you for your lovely comments and absolutely keep them coming. Um, this week's film was Scream. So we're going to get stuck into that now. Uh, Jack, why did you pick Scream? I just thought it'd be nice to bring our spooky season to an end with uh, one of the genres we hadn't done yet, which was the slasher horror. And obviously it's kind of, it's, it's pretty relevant today because it's just been rebooted and is very, very successful still. So I thought let's, let's, can you, let's delve back. Yeah, go on, mate. Can you, so this is the, one of the things that with, with horror, horror isn't like the, I would say that my sort of area of cinema that I always go to the most so when we talk about slasher films are there mm. prerequisites because i know obviously in in scream he kind of there's a scene at the end where one of the characters very much explains the traditions and heritage of horror but does slasher have specific things that i should have been looking out for i think generally speaking it's a group of teenagers um it will be a a a killer and we'll get on to talking about this but it's usually a supernatural or somehow superhuman appearing um force that is killing a group of teenagers one by one who are in the wrong place at the wrong time um some notable examples before scream texas chainsaw massacre john carpenter's halloween friday the 13th movies um black christmas is another one um, so, you know, there's, there's a few of these type of movies out there, but Scream definitely, uh, kickstarted the whole thing once again. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. Um, shall I, uh, shall I try and, I'm just, I'm just going to fuck this up, but let me try oh, and no, give you the, spoil it, right. let's, uh, let's bring yeah. you, let's get you, let's get your timer up. Um, can I establish, I'd like to establish some new rules, can, uh, Klaxon, I'd like to establish some right. new rules. Are you allowed? We should be allowed to have the IMDb open, right? So that I don't balls up the names. Oh, I, I don't know about that, mate. You should just Pulse. you should have just done that without uh, without saying. I think I think that's like there should be like an introduction of like IMDb is allowed, and one uh, I should get one assist from you within there. If I'm struggling, you can give me the give me the name or the person or the area or the thing that I'm missing. Okay, all right then. I like that. Right, all right okay. let's give it a go because my my uh, spoiling sixty seconds have just been terrible. Do you know what I mean? So I need all the help right. I can get. <laughs> let's get it. Um, right. Tell me when. I'll give you a three and a two and a one. So Scream is set in a high school in California where we see the character of Sydney, whose mum has passed away almost a year ago uh, via a violent murder. Um, there is a really horrible news reporter that's going out trying to solve what's happened to this crime. And then just as this is happening, uh, a killer with a scream mask turns up and kills Casey, Drew Barrymore's character. Um, there's a bit of a, a, a sort of manhunt around the school to try and work out who's done it and who is the killer. And at the same time, we're seeing the character of Billy trying to cop off 
with Sydney, um, and that leads you to try and work out whether Billy is maybe the killer, but there's also lots of other characters that could be the killer as well. The rest of the film are one by one, people are just being culled away and chopped. Um, and Courtney Cox trying to work out from a reporter point of view who's done it. Sydney's trying to work out from a kind of like, Ten about seconds to left. get murdered point of view who's done it. As well as that, we had David Arquette's deputy jury tries to work out, and it turns out it was two people after all, not one. It was Billy and <laughs> Matthew Lillard Stewart. I mean, it was a bit loose, but we'll take it. That was decent, mate. That was decent. That was decent. Kind of got towards the end there, but like, long story short, I, um, as I was saying that, I totally align with all the bits you said about this kind of idea of a group of teenagers. And it jumped at me again that we're doing a film where we're sort of talking about a, a group of teenagers. At no point does anyone go like, maybe we should stay in tonight. <laughs> <laughs> They're literally like, there's a horrible murder on the loose. Time for a nice party. <laughs> so good. So ridiculous. It's just standard though, isn't it? Like, and I think we'll, we'll get into some of these conversations, won't we, about like the depiction of youth and stuff throughout this film. Yeah. Um, but I guess like one of the, one of the things I, I did want to start on with it is because uh, we, we touched on it there and it seems like only natural to go into this is that you know, Scream was, yes, 1996 film directed by Wes Craven, obviously one of the horror masters, you know, we're talking Nightmare on Elm Street, we're talking, you know, Last, what is it, Last House on the Left, we're talking The Hills Have Eyes, you know, he's one of the real kind of masters of this genre, of the horror genre. So when we're talking about somebody revolutionizing something, I think we're allowed to say that Wes Craven did that um, with, uh, with Scream. So, I mean, when we're talking about kind of uh, this, this from the from the top screen, you know, we've said that there's the the conventions of it being a, a slasher film of the always being this kind of you know um, malevolent force that is usually supernatural or somehow superhuman. Scream managed to tip this completely on its head because suddenly it's it's not only is it is it that but you don't know who the killer is. So it's kind of, you're mixing two classic kind of murder genres there where you've got the killer that's going on this rampant spree, getting everybody, but you have no idea who it is. You don't know what the backstory is. Like it could be anyone from in the cast. So you kind of got that tinge of Agatha Christie's whodunit in there as well, right? Yeah, well, it definitely jumped out on me that, that, again, this is a film, when I watched it for the first time, it was at a sleepover with a bunch of mates and it was a scary film. Like now I watched it and I have to be honest, mate, I laughed all the way through. Yeah. And I, I watched it as a who done it. And I'd completely forgot who actually done it. So I did was you? sitting there and I was like, and I was like, I wonder who bloody did it. Like, and then I had an inkling and I was like, oh yeah, but I thought it was the 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 Johnny um Johnny Depp-esque guy. I thought he was the killer. And then it was like, oh no, he's not the killer. And then I realized I was being red herringed. Yeah. I was being double bluffed, and um, so I, I was, I, I then kind of realized, I was like, oh yeah, these guys. But honestly, but like at the beginning, I, I was like, wow, we, we're sort of kind of watching a, a, a haunting in Venice here. You yeah. know, it was sort of felt a bit like we're, we're. I was actually trying to work out who it was going to be, and I thought the in Courtney Cox's character was a really nice addition in that. Because it wasn't just, it then meant it wasn't just a group of kids. You know, there was something else in there that was, that was mixing it up, you know. Um, but, it, but maybe tell me a little bit more about why this was, this 
this film was revolutionary in the horror genre per se, because the films that we've watched have definitely been revolutionary in their own way, if that makes sense. Yeah. This is definitely feels like it's in its own bracket, right? Well, I think it was one of those first films as well, really, especially in, in the horror genre that did incorporate that sort of level of comedy to it as well, that allowed it to be kind of lighthearted, but also, I guess, lampooned the very genre that it was. You know, like it, I think it was one of the first films that knowingly nodded to these really ridiculous conventions and tropes that we have seen peddled out in various different horror films prior to this one yet they were still relying on those tropes and everything to build an effective, scary story. Like you say, it is still, in its own way, it's still a pretty scary film. And I'll give you, I'll give you like, you know, a bit of a peek behind the curtain, because this obviously, this came out in 1996. So, I mean, what was I, about 10 or 11, I guess, when it, when it would have come out, 11, near enough. Um, and I remember it was one of those films that like, in like, I guess it would have been like year six, year seven, that kind of age, where really only the people with like an older sibling have watched it on the sly. Yeah. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I think I, I watched it too on a sleepover as well, probably when I was, I reckon, a little bit older, maybe 13 or 14. But I remember building it up in my head for years because I just remember seeing the ghost face mask when I was a kid, when I was little. And the idea of it really scaring me. Do you know what I mean? Like the, the, yeah. the thought of the film, of somebody being chased around. Because like I said to you before, you know, the psycho had always stuck with me when I was a kid. I remember just seeing that one clip of the shower scene. And it was literally, it was on something like The Big Breakfast. They showed like a clip, the, yeah. the shower scene clip on The Big Breakfast. And I saw that when I was like seven or eight or something. And it petrified me. And then, amazing? Yeah. And then like, then seeing this like even i think I, and what i remember it is is the clip i saw of scream it was on one of those it was on like i think one of like barry norman's film programs or something like that when they're doing like the top 10 movies at the time and the scene that they used on that um it was on the bbc or something is the bit when sydney is in her own house right and she's like calling the bluff of the killer being like yeah, you don't scare me. No, and then you see him jump out the corridor behind her. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And I remember seeing yeah. that when I was, like I say, about 10, 11 sort of thing and being like, nope, I do not want to watch this film. Terrifying. <laughs> that, but, I have to say, though, that yeah. bit was amazing. Yeah, it's, it's brilliant. Um, but I, th- I guess to sort of t- to take it back to this, I think one of the big things is like, it was just, it was this kind of, this type of filmmaking where there's a peek behind the cap, the peek behind the curtain, right? Where uh, there, there, there is this like meta narrative that's going on. There's a self-awareness there that made the film not only as a horror film feel fresh, but just as a movie in general. Um, mm. Because it was this kind of, because it wasn't quite airplane, which I know people will probably say, well, satires existed before, Naked Gun, Airplane, those type of Leslie Nielsen movies, because it wasn't quite as farcical as those. And we've had that follow with Scary Movie, and I know we'll get onto that. Um, but Scream, there was still an air of parody about it, but it, I have to guess because it was directed by Wes Craven, it, it maintained that it was still a horror film. So there's, I don't know, there's a real duality to the film. And I actually think, you know, it's funny because it's, you know, it's a teenage horror movie, but the way in which it's constructed at least is 
is really quite sophisticated. Really, you know, it's it's really well done. I think you know. So I've kind of I'm a bit torn on that because I think the first half is really well done. Like the the first the first sort of the the, the first setups. You know that the opening sequence with Drew Barrymore is iconic. You know, and the idea that she's trapped in her own home, but she does she want to go outside. If she locks the doors, she's trapped inside with this this kind of monster of a human in the in the full Halloween sort of scream uh get up. Um and that in itself was amazing. Then he kind of makes the phone call to the next one and you kind of get this feeling like it's gonna go one by one by one. The problem is is that once obviously you speed up and you get into the end game, it just for me, it kind of felt like we were getting into just absolute fast territory and i won't spoil that i won't i mean obviously no spoilers but it's a 1996 film so i will spoil the ending in 60 seconds is fine that's byob just do it spoil away the, the bit where the two dudes are like stabbing each other i was like this is genuinely like laugh out loud funny it was like don't stab me too deep man it's kind of <laughs> supposed to be though right yeah, well, that was that was going to be my question. I mean, we were going to do this later on, but maybe we'll slide this up. But is it a parody? Is it a par? Is it a like? Is it taking the piss a little bit out of the horror genre at the same time yeah, as being yeah. a scary film? I, I definitely think so. Very consciously, um, it is. And I, 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 my personal opinion on that is that it's it's a bit of a rope a dope in that you know we've sort of spoken in our pretentious way before about Brechtian theatre, about, you know, putting people in a state of unease by having a, a kind of a lighthearted message accompanying a horrific one at the same time kind of thing. Generally speaking, like, sure. you know, nice music playing with something awful happening on stage kind of thing. Um, something Tarantino does a lot. Um, and so I think there is that there was probably that air here to lull the viewers into a false sense of security that everything's kind of friendly and funny and it's, you know, it's your peers, it's people who watch movies, who love horror movies. We all stick a horror movie on at, you know, at a party, at a sleepover, that type of thing. They're literally putting that on screen and then saying, what happens when the kids who think they know it all about horror movies are caught in one themselves? You know, so I, 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 I do think it's very, very purposefully supposed to be funny, very purposefully supposed to, like I say, have this meta narrative to it, which is lends itself to a, a to a to a sense of parody at least. Do, should we do the bit about the? Let's go. You made the point earlier on around depiction of youth. I think this is quite interesting as well because there is a mm. there's a really nice arc in this. A lot of stuff about the idea of being a teenager and stuff that you go through. And I know we did it for it follows, but I definitely think there's something really interesting in the idea of being this age in the nineties. Yeah, yeah, because it's totally different, right? It's totally. Well, there's the, no the social media school, for a start, right? Which is which is quite nice, and the, the idea of the girls that the, the um, Courtney Cox's character. Who goes into uh, who goes into the school and uh, sort of or doesn't go into school goes into the house party? She's Gail Weathers and all the girls are like, oh my god, I love his show. I watch it every night. I'm like, could you imagine the equivalent of that now? No one would know who the hell reports the news. No, you know, no. like no one would have a clue. Like they would just know like, the who's this cringe it. old person? That's what they'd say now, isn't it? You know. Yeah, and she was like walking into a kids' party. 
you know it's just like totally wild but i did think there was that this kind of this thing around the pressures on the pressures on young people the immediate kind of dawson's creek style hey i'll rock up at your window and climb in through the side um and then the scene where she's in the bathroom and the two girls are like god she's making it up she's such a like drama queen blah 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 um and it does remind you, like, it made me think straight away, school was fucking awful at times. <laughs> school yeah. was genuinely so crap, you know? There was some, there was some interesting bits in there. Um, I, I quite like the idea of, you know, because we often see like when young people do something terrible now, the ire is always, ah, oh, they're just doing that for social media, right? Um, yeah, but you still yeah. saw even in this movie, and it does serve as a reminder because it, it does kind of remind you that like, there were still people doing stupid shit at school when we were there. Like you say, sometimes it was horrible. There were bullies, or this, there were that. And like when you see after all these horrible killings are happening, you've still got a dude running through the halls in a ghost face mask, like trying to scare all his classmates when you know one of their one of their kind of peers has just been brutally murdered by somebody wearing that mask you know so it's kind of i do quite like i i think there's i think there's a certain timeless quality to this um and i know one one thing i've read one sort of interesting little fact i'd read about this um there's a little kind of like i don't know how you swear it like is it an anachronism is it you call it when um like the 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 mobile phone in there for example um it was much more sophisticated looking yes. than movies of the than is, the mobile phones of the time um, because yeah. the filmmakers wanted it to have more of a legacy. They didn't want it to get kind of too tied down to any particular point in time. And the funny thing is now, obviously with there being such a kind of, you know, the nineties are back in kind of like the cycle again now, right. In terms of fashion, in terms of like the zeitgeist, oh, okay it makes sense that something like the scream reboot would do so well again. And I think still the original is still held up as one that young people still watch today. I don't think really it comes across as too kind of weird or out of, out of sorts with like what a lot of young people might be able to identify with today, maybe, but you know, no, I, 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 I definitely think that's, I, I think that's a, that's a really astute sort of, pick there um and i definitely feel when i was watching it back i was I, did, I don't know whether you had this but i was having all these little things so i was like oh yeah 90s culture oh yeah 90s culture you know just little yeah. things that just just grabbed me Dungarees. And I think, <laughs> yeah the, the, even just the screen mask in general did anyone at your school have a screen mask i mean all I, loads of I, people I, I my had school it. had it's, isn't that crazy i, I, I asked I, I was gonna ask my mom i forgot to i was gonna ask my mom if, it, if it's still at home at my parents house somewhere i was going to wear Might it for this for the, for the yeah. intro you know but but it was people had them and would like run around school in them and it and the thing was is that even though we're saying it was kind of like silly and parody by the end it was it was actually scary like the the, the scene at the beginning was scary and the screen mask became a thing like we, i remember our school they got banned that like people had to stop wearing yeah. it which is quite funny which is quite ridiculous would, would but you... even Go on, go on, no, go on, go on. no, 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 go on. I was going to change it slightly, change the point slightly. So, Karen, well, I, I was going to do the same. So, I, the only other thing I was going to say is just even if you wanted to go like Siri, show me the like most 90s possible cast, and I hope my phone now doesn't just 
do that and ruin our recording. <laughs> <I> just, <laughs> but, but like that would have been full old ball bag thing, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, well, well, that like, happened to me the other week, didn't it? So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it is it is just a who's who of kind of like peak 90s, isn't it? Matt Lillard, a Stuart, who was also in Scooby-Doo. You've got David Arquette. And five nights with Freddy's, trying. like I say. Yeah, and then Courtney Cox and Neve Campbell in her early days. Um, Drew Barrymore. It, it, it's so 90s. It's so, we, so 90s. Go on, sorry. You, I was going to say, so just before we do move away too far from Ghostface, um, I wanted to just give you an interesting fact on the Ghostface mask. Oh, I love mask. it. The Ghostface mask it was not actually created specifically for the film. Um, it was just a toy shop mask by a company called Fun World. Um, Wes Craven was just looking through different kind of scary masks and stuff. Um, and it was called the Peanut Eyed Ghost. And he he just Thank said God. he liked it because he found it particularly eerie. Because um, there's been a lot of people saying, you know, it echoes the kind of the scream, you know, um, Edvard Munch's painting. Um, and you've got, you've even got, you know, if we're talking about its impact on its lasting legacy on culture, you've got a bloody emoji, which is kind of shaped like it as well, you know, to indicate something very terrifying. Oh so, my God. Yeah, of course. It yeah. was, it, it was a kind of cultural phenomenon that as well, which tells you how far this film went. I mean, box office wise, it did, it did. What did it do? More than 10 X, nearly 15 X its budget at the yeah. box office. So it, it was a 13, 14 million pound thing. And it took nearly 200 million, I think. Um, yeah, which it, I'm sure for inflation adjusted would be, you know, pretty big. That obscene. Yeah, so it's 173 million took at the box office, which is for 1996 is amazing, and it was it was it was really quite iconic. Um, the other thing is that this led to right is the the idea of the parody sort of film in that era, and it, like you said, it had been done before, and that kind of silly quite low hanging fruit humor but i remember this spawned some of the best parody films i've ever seen like do you remember watching scary movie when it came out i do remember watching scary movie when it came out mate yeah i know and you're like, a particularly big fan of them aren't you oh mate i love them i love them and i think i think the first scary movie they made <laughs> Oh God! I just remember there was a really very crass joke. One of the one of the bits in Scream is obviously the idea of um, this girl who's actually suffering from a bit of PTSD in Sydney, and she's being pressured by a guy to sleep together. So she's being pressured by Billy. But then I think Scary Movie might have inserted the idea of like her dad putting in some sort of like electric fence around her to stop him getting to her yeah. <laughs> in certain parts of her, in certain parts of certain areas of her body, which was just, genuine, yeah. yeah, which is genuinely like, I, I just thought about it now. I was like, how stupid was that? Like the, 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 the nature of those, um, uh, of those sort of like parody things. I always go back to scary movie three when it's taking the piss out of signs and it says like the dogs are acting strange and it cuts to dogs sitting around smoking shisha and a dog driving a tractor, which it just kills me every time. It just absolutely kills me. And the fact that they then branched out and inserted like eight mile into scary movie as well was just phenomenal. Well, it's funny as we were watching it, like Charlotte was saying like, 
I thought I had watched Scream, but I think I've actually just watched Scary Movie loads of times. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Because I, mate, she was like, I, I thought, like hang on. Now. I thought this character did this and I thought that character did that. Oh no, I'm thinking about Scary Movie again. Um, yeah, but it, it, it's amazing though, watching it back, how much it feels like a parody of itself. And I don't, I, I can't work out whether it was at the time or not. I can't work out whether it was actually as silly as as I feel like it is now, or whether like just over the course of time, what we find scary has evolved. I, I honestly, I, I definitely think it was supposed because I, I, I kind of vaguely recall even people talking about it being a kind of comedy as well. And I would say that I have, I enjoyed the first scary movie. I think I've, I think I enjoyed the second one as well. But I still, I've always had that bit of a because I, because I, I did like Scream. I've always had that kind of like. Eh, actually kind of feeling about like you can't parody a parody it kind of it's sort of there's always just been a bit of a splinter for me that like if i'm being oh, like really a real stick okay, right. yeah, yes. i don't know do you know what i mean it's kind of like you know like when you kind of tell a joke and somebody's like yeah you would say that you know when, it, when it's like a self-depreciating joke and someone's like yeah you would say yeah. that it's like I mean, no, that's that, point. that was the joke. You know, the old Simpsons meme with a uh, thing of me, that's the joke, you know. <laughs> that's kind yeah, of the thing I've heard, but, you know, I'm not I'm not going to come gunning for scary movie. Don't worry, mate. I'm not going to do that to you. Do, uh, d- yeah, good. Because that, I mean, I'd take that as a serious personal slant. Um, what, <laughs> the, um, <laughs> um, the, 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 you spoke earlier about Wes Craven and kind of the work that he did within this to try and take this out of the realms of the scary movies of the time. And obviously there's a bit, is the character called Randy? I think the character is called Randy that is going, and this is what would happen next. And this is what would happen next. And the film kind of spells it out quite clearly that scary, clearly Wes Craven had felt that scary movies had got into quite formulaic place. And they'd got yeah. into a, a sort of a, a place where you the audience felt like they knew at every single turn what was going to come. Um, but he kind of flipped this, not just in terms of how he was telling the story, but also the time of day, for example, the lighting. He was trying to mix it up, right? Yeah, I mean, that was one of the things that really stood out for me, like watching it this time more than any other time was it's all so well lit. Everything, you know, most of the kind of the... The killings happen in in a well lit environment. You um you always have uh, ghost face kind of not appearing out of the shadow. I mean, other than the first scene with Casey, um, and another interesting fact on that, I've got coming up for you, Andrew Barrymore, but we'll save this a bit. Um, the I guess you know because you've got many other horror films that they do rely on darkness, shadows to create kind of suspense and fear. Whereas I felt when I was watching this with Scream, it, it did use these well-lit scenes that I guess it, it, it ensured that the audience could clearly see the characters and their surroundings. Um, and I guess it made, because this movie is supposed to be so self-aware, it is, like I say, it has this kind of meta-narrative. Um, a lot of character-driven elements to the plot as well. That I think directorially, it's almost like shining, literally shining a light on that shining a light on these kind of horror conventions and everything like that and i i i think as well in a in a in a in in an interesting way the film it did focus a lot on realism as well right so we talked spoken previously michael myers you've got this seemingly invincible serial killer 
Jason Voorhees again, this seemingly invincible serial killer, Leatherface from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, perhaps the most human of them, um, I would say, because you do see Leatherface kind of hurt in the course of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But with this, you know, this is supposed to be a person within this community killing people. And I think these kind of well-lit scenes, the fact it, it, it was in a paranoid suburban town, people would keep their lights on. And as such, you know, it, 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 you in turn get a feeling of that home invasion because you think, well, that's like us, you know, you, you just, it's, just a, it's just a suburban house with all the lights on and still somebody is just rushing into that environment and chopping all these people up um especially like you know in, in a big party when there's a party going on at the end that still didn't stop kind of ghost face because there's loads of people there loads of potential witnesses or anything like that they still went on to to kill people so i did i did think that was a, a particularly uh, interesting directorial decision from from wes craven and i uh i like to you know i just think a lot of it is a lot of the film if, you know for my waffling is there's a lot of subversion of like expectation here right in this film um, so when you're kind of presenting, like I say, this well-lit suburban setting, um, it does, it, the, the expectation is that, well, no, the monster is going to come. The killer is going to come in the next scene when it's dark or somebody's walking through an abandoned warehouse or this or that. It's like, no, bang, there's Ghostface. He's coming in through the window. He's coming in through the back door and he's going to come and get you. Um, so I, I guess like relying on these tropes, these narratives, trying to bend those a bit to create those scares, like I say, to do that rope-a-dope, to lure the audience into that false sense of security. Little things like this, just using lighting, um, really help and really help to sort of add to that, I feel anyway. Or maybe they did at the time as well, you know. Some of this stuff does get lost in the in the sands of time, doesn't it? Yeah, I, 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 yeah definitely agree. And I think um, off the back of that, a bit of a sillier question, but when you look at the film, what is your favourite of the death scenes? Like the way that oh. someone goes out because they get parodied so much, and I'd forgotten how good some of them were in yeah. terms of just like the sheer ambition of the absurdity of it. I mean, I, I I've got to say, like, and I think it sort of stands alone because. Casey's death at the beginning, I would say the whole the whole scene with Casey, Drew Barrymore's character, is more like a conventional horror film, right? And because Ghostface is hiding in the dark, you've got the kind of the scary, you know, um, call that comes in um, and it builds up. You have a few more of the conventional horror beats that happen there the the tension and everything that is created throughout that scene the popcorn ever expanding um the amount of the amount of big glass doors and big windows right that's very very deliberate that's very the location for that is very very deliberate a feeling of just zero security now that the chips are down right living in a house like that um and i always remember and this is one of those things that like charlotte was saying as well is that you remember watching movies like that as a kid thinking like, I don't want to have one of these houses that has loads of big glass doors, right? You know, because <laughs> yeah, it man. feel safe, yeah. right? Um, That's a really good point, actually, because like you said, the whole suburban thing, the idea of suburbia is it's supposed to be no crime happens here. It's all very precisely. safe. 
you've got your nice big house and your nice big garden and you're perfectly away from all the, the and, and crazy let's be real as well white suburbia as well like peak yeah, exactly. white suburbia exactly yeah um, and, and you're away from the danger of the city and yeah, it kind of very brought... middle class everyone's clearly very rich you know huge houses yeah all the kids are like spoiled brats you know totally totally and then you get into this then you get to the idea of like someone like we were saying earlier on but the idea of someone making you trapped in your own home but then equally disturbed by the great outdoors you know it's really really lovely kind of uh, paradoxical thing to have and uh, that the idea of the voice manipulation over the phone as well well, you know, one of the, yeah, one of the things I've read as well is that like one of the other legacies of the phone of the of the film is that it spawned a load of people moving towards phones that had caller ID on them um, because people were so scared of the idea of somebody calling them a oh, horrible killer or yeah. something and them not being yeah. able to see who it was. Um, God, I remember on, on, that as on well. Your, yeah, on your question about the death scenes as well, I've got to say, other than Casey's one. I do love Rose McGowan's one as well, getting trapped in the uh, in the garage door. In the garage Phenomenal. door. And I know that's one of the big ones that Scary Movie does as well, isn't it? Yeah, it does. And then, and then I just remembered the other bit where um, in Scary Movie where she gets a phone call, and then the the phone call goes, "I'm coming for you, my precious." And then, um, and it's a really scary voice. And then Pam Ranson's like, "Oh, hi, mom." <laughs> she's like fucking brilliant <laughs> would, would you like to know one uh before we do move on because we sort of talk you know we're playing around um Wes Craven's directorial style and everything like that I'll tell you one very very interesting thing he uh didn't tell anybody on set apparently oh, anyway brilliant. didn't tell a brilliant one yeah any of the actors any of the crew nobody who the killer was so all throughout the film, they even filmed multiple endings with various different people revealing themselves as Ghostface. Um, That's he, so cool. Yeah, That's he wanted brilliant. to keep up that sense of intrigue, the sense of everybody. And wanted to, I guess just wanted to see how the actors would play their various different scenes. I'm sure they got a brief as in like, because you can see Billy Loomis is quite a menacing character throughout it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I wonder if that's kind of what Skeet Ulrich took to it. I wonder what his brief was. Um, but yeah, he he didn't know. And one of the other interesting bits on the back of this as well is that um, they were, to this day as well, people don't even know if um, Wes Craven himself knew, but you don't know who was actually doing the, the killings either out of Billy and uh, what's his name? Uh, really good point. Yeah. That, uh, hold the line, please, Connor. I will get it for you. His name is da, 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 a Stu. Billy and Stu. Why you stab me real deep, man? You know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so he's, for God's sake, good, it's so funny. That um, bit at the end where he's kind of like, I'm bleeding out, man. <laughs> he sort of yeah. smashed him in the face I, with I a love it when he with picks a up the phone like hello you know are you really <laughs> you actually girl? call the police yeah <laughs> my parents are gonna be so mad <laughs> that is um, really like that was really quite funny i found myself sort of laughing a lot at that stuff that was really really he was um 
I couldn't, this is the thing, I couldn't tell because I found him quite ridiculous the whole way through the film, even earlier on where he was inviting the girls around for the parties and just pissing around in in school. I found him sort of just a bit ludicrous, but by the end I was finding him hilarious, so maybe that was the intention the whole way through. I loved it. The thing is, I, I guess I sort of loved that type of character because, you know, I think when I was like growing up, especially I used to love like, Blink 182, the kind of data, nerd, gross out, loser, cool loser type character. And he was like perfectly in that. But um, another little interesting bit, just quickly, mate, is that Drew Barrymore was originally cast as Sidney Prescott. Um, She was going to play Sidney Prescott. What happened? Um, there was just a scheduling conflict. I don't, I can't really uh, get, I don't really know what movie it is. There's a few different movies. There's, she was in a movie called Everyone Says I Love You. She was in a movie called Best Men. She just played uh, a character in Batman Forever around the same time. The Wedding Singer was, well, I mean, that was a couple of years later. So she was pretty busy at that time. Um, but yeah, she was supposed to play, yeah, she was supposed to play Sidney Prescott, but. Yeah, they changed it. Um, changed it at the last minute, and Neve Campbell stepped in. And you might say, really, that that's been a bit of a masterstroke because Neve Campbell yeah. has, you know, it was. I mean, it's probably the the biggest movies of of her career, um, and she's carried the franchise forward really. Um, and she stepped out of it now in the later ones. I think she came back for the first of the reboots, but then wasn't in the second one. Right. Spoiler alert! <laughs> but. Um, <laughs> I'm just looking at the cast. I haven't actually watched the rebooted versions of. I was going to say, have you seen any of the? I I can't remember any of the other screams. Was there one in a haunted house style thing? I don't know. Yeah, there's one on the movie set. So I think Scream Two, Scream Two is the one where it's based on. So I think Scream Two takes place on set of a film called so this is this is yeah this is further Wes Craven um parodying the genre so it's a movie within a movie because Scream 2 there's a film called Stab being made um which is based on the Woodsboro murders um which is you know the based on the Scream movie and Sydney Prescott I think is trying to you know she's sort of complaining about it and all that type of thing because it's actually interesting the Scream movie is based on a real life um, killing spree as well. Somebody called the Gainesville Ripper. Um, It was like this Florida early nineties serial killer who wore a a horrible black ski mask or something like that and a knife and killed students, young women. Um, So I think it's loosely based on, on, on him, but yeah, uh, Scream 2. I I do remember Scream 2. I think I've seen Scream 3, Scream 4. I couldn't tell you anything about it if I have seen it. Maybe I've watched. It feels like the sort of thing I might have watched on a plane at some point. Do you know what I mean? But I I can't remember any of them, mate. I can't remember any of them. But I have to say, this was very nice and nostalgic for me watching this one. This took me right back to being at a being at a sleepover and again watching a film that you probably shouldn't have been watching. And there was actually quite a lot of gore in it as well. You know, there's oh, more yeah. gore than I you mean, realize. People you're getting seeing, properly uh, stabbed. Casey getting gutted at the start, right? Stabbed in the neck, all that type of thing. Yeah, and she can't talk because she's had a like. It's it, it's pretty like that's what I'm saying at the Brutal. beginning. It's, it's it's a legit 
horror you know it's like it's scary really scary um and by the end i was laughing my head off um have we are you happy to go on to mvp yeah yeah we can do mvp because i'm gonna um i'm sort of i'm tempted to call it a tie here oh yeah because i think courtney cox is so unlikable. Like her character is horrible, so, isn't she? Like just a such a rotter. Like you just can't perfect, stand right? her. But just brilliant portrayal of it. But I think yeah. Courtney Cox is really good at that. She's done it in a few. She's done it in a few different things where she's been a total sort of the character's been a total arsehole. Like she played a character in Scrubs that was in it for maybe kind of like six or seven episodes. And she was fantastic in that, like fan, absolutely amazing. Um, she also was in Cougar Town, where she had a kind of like similarish, unlikable streak to her character, which was fantastic as well. Um, and then there was a, another thing that I'm probably not going to not going to remember now, but there was another character where I just thought, God, you were such an arsehole in that. But um, but yeah, absolutely brilliant. Um, and then obviously as well. Um, uh, Neve Campbell playing Sydney was just was she was standout for me as well. Yeah, I, uh, I I'd go along with that, mate. I'd go along with that. I'd, I'd probably veer more towards Courtney Cox, I think, just about. But really, yeah, both really good. Slightly ahead. Yeah, I um, and one of my. Do you want to know one of my? T- I thought I think I, th- I, th- I think I thought it at the time. I still feel it now. David Arquette's so bad. <laughs> like dread. I mean, Full, Deputy like his face like this the whole time. Like and he's just sort of smiling with his eyes up, eyebrows raised yeah. up the whole time. Like and like even when he's cracking onto Courtney Cox, it's like, come on, bro, <laughs> come on, mate, give yeah, it a bit I, more than that. Yeah, I, I wasn't, I wasn't impressed with that at all. Um, but yeah, good, yeah, enjoyed it, mate. Enjoyed it. Nice, nice little trip down memory lane. Bit of an easy yeah, one. Yeah, wasn't it, just um, aging process. Um, I guess one would nod to a complete lack of diversity as much as I kind of feel like that's the point in a way with the film. Mm. Um, like I say, you're kind of subverting expectations. You know, one of the big tropes is like kind of the, you know, the, the people of color in films usually get killed first. Um, so I guess you're kind of removing that element. And then I believe in Scream 2, actually, it is a person of colour that does get killed first in the film. So whether or not that's a, a, a knowing nod or a, a kind of joke on the convention again. Um, but on this film, yeah, I guess just, but yeah, the bare fact says, yeah, it's completely white cast as far as, far as I can remember, really, from watching yeah, it. Um, that does, that, it's, it's funny how much that stands out now, right? Um, yeah, because it was it's so really normal growing up. It was so normal. Um, and then you start to realize like, oh, okay, I, I guess that's why, you know, diversity in films should be a thing and people shouldn't get so like wound up about that, right? Yeah, and also just looking at it, like you said, it really, I don't know, it just, it, it now, and I suppose this is a really good thing. When you look on IMDb and you look at the cast, and obviously they have a small kind of avatar of their their image, it really you find it unnatural and not normal to see just a white cast. It, no, because it, 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 life's it never been, it's not it's never been like that, has it? Like uh, you know, it's, yeah. it's, we've there's even you know we've, we can, this is a very deep topic and 
you know, we can, we can go into this, but, you know, there's been lots of, you know, facts to show, like, all throughout history. Like, you know, there's been people of colour within Britain as well, in Tudor times and onwards, you know? Like, like we don't... We, yeah, you know, that's... It's, like I say, it's, it's a deeper topic for another day, but it, it, is, it is weird, it is alien. So when people do kind of get really angry about this type of thing, it's like, but what you actually want is an unrealistic thing because like you say when yeah. you do look at this when you, it it's so painfully clear like when you watch something like scream you're like this is kind of weird as much as i do think i i, I do want to say again i do think this is kind of again a satire a kind of skewing on yeah. very Hoping white holes. suburban brats like i think that is i think it's very purposeful is what i'd say yeah I agree. I think some, like you said, I think some of the acting in this is is a bit hokey as well. There's some really, uh, yeah. <laughs> there's some flawed, there's some flawed performances in here. And I don't. This is the other thing. I remember it being, like, I remember it being groundbreaking and unbelievably scary and huge and culturally significant. But as with everything in life, you look back and you when there's pictures of you on the wall. And or pictures of you in photo frames from the nineties, you're like, Jesus, I look naff. You know, it's yeah. just the just time just makes you think things were more naff than they were. The fact of the matter is, this was massive. Like this was massive. It was culturally significant. It would have been one of the biggest films of the year, and it also would have been one of the era defining films of its time and of its genre. So, mm. even though I looked back, it was like, well, this is all a bit silly. It also wasn't at the time, you know? I, I think probably it's important at this point on the fine wine or war crime section as well to just mention the fact that um, Rose McGowan, who worked on this film, um, who was one of the first during the kind of Me Too movement to break uh, her assault and treatment by Harvey Weinstein, a lot of that occurred oh. around this film. Um, oh, really? Yeah, I, I guess I'm supposed to say allegedly, but I, I'm I don't know. I'm not 100. percent But you know, um, yeah, this is this is where yeah Rose McGowan said that this was pretty much the film that uh, changed a lot for her her life, um, her treatment from Weinstein before, during, and after production of the of the film. Um, so yeah, I mean that's. Uh, that's you know yeah Rose Brown obviously now is a huge um advocate for sort of survivors of you know sexual assault um and you know she's played a massive huge role um in shedding a light on the kind of the misconduct of people within Hollywood especially Harvey Weinstein um so you know I, I guess you know more power to her um and it's a shame that she had to go through you know that and so many other people did um because at the you know at the you know the I don't know what you would call it just at the hands of Harvey Weinstein I didn't want to say that because it sounds so visceral and horrible but I guess that's yeah. literally all it is right it's um that's what it was and I so guess this, this like, was a was big just, Weinstein yeah production I just sort of found myself getting lost in thought there where you you're saying that it's just so terrible that that on the one hand you um yeah you look back at a film like this and you attach it to moments of your life with nostalgia um. And like that, oh, do you remember this and do you remember that? And for some people, they'll remember it for very, very different reasons. Yeah. That's unbelievably sad. Yeah, that's and that's awful. Um, yeah, I think uh, possibly that's where we'll wrap up on the 
uh, final one of war crimes. Anything else on that for you, mate? No, I think that's it. Is it is it time for time for ratings? Yeah, let's do it. What have we got? Do ratings. So IMDb. What are you guessing for IMDb, mate? I've got it. I've got it here now. Uh, seven point eight. Ooh, not quite seven point four. So still, okay, still a good okay. score. Still a good score for Scream. Rotten Tomatoes. We've got a it's certified fresh, and it's critics eighty one percent and an audience score of eighty percent. Um, so that's decent. Um, and on Metacritic, we're saying, um, do do it's hard because there's so many bloody screen films. Again, Metacritic is always one of the harshest critics, isn't it? Um, sixty five percent on Metacritic generally favourable reviews, but universal acclaim on the user ratings eight point six. Um, so. You know, it's done very well. TNT rough cut said of the film, they gave it a hundred percent. Wes Craven continues oh, wow. to explore and blur the lines between reality, a uh, realty and reality with his latest and perhaps best cinematic slice of horror. The Los Angeles times said it's sensational in both sense of a word, a bravura provocative send up of horror pictures. That's also scary and gruesome yet too swift moving to lapse into morbidity. Um, the Chicago Reader said, tiresome, blood-filled comedy. The San Francisco Examiner said, an artificial and hypocritical effort to escape the artistic limitations of the slasher movie. So, you know, I I think that's... I, I don't agree with that, San, Fris- San Francisco Examiner. But uh, man, I enjoyed uh, it. This was fun. That, it was fun. It was fun. fun. And so that also wraps up our spooky season so i hope you have all in, enjoyed that we like i said we've got if this, if this is the first one you're tuning into there's plenty of other episodes we've got the shining we've got the conjuring we've got it follows that's when we left out um oh, yeah. and 28 days later so you know go back be sure to check those out um but we 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 got a bit of time now before we get into Christmas film season. We're going to go back to some of these old BYB BYOB classics, um, and it's your pick first outside of spooky season, Ben. So you you know there's, there's no pressure, mate. But it's going to need to be something to lift us out of this. I've you got, got a good, good one. one. I'm looking yeah. forward to this, mate. It's been a few weeks yeah. now, you know. Yeah, I'm really I. So I thought about it before we... Sorry, I'll bring the music down. Um, I, I thought about it uh, just before we, we came on. I've got my long list and I've got a load of films. I'm like, oh, it'd be good to get into that. Oh, it'd be good to get into that. But after four or five weeks of doing the scary season um, and it being sort of... And me being panicky before watching the films because I'm like waiting to jump around every corner. Like, <laughs> um, I was like, right, let's have something that's fairly uplifting. And where do I go when I want an uplifting film? Well, I can do rom-coms or I can do um, your kind of like your feel-good stuff or comedy stuff. And then I was, I thought there is one film that every time I watch it, when I get to the end, I come away and I just feel really, really good. And it's an absolute classic. And it cleaned up awards-wise for some phenomenal performances. And it involves a man that you and I both absolutely love. We started with Mrs. Doubtfire. We're going to go back to Robin Williams and go with Good Will Hunting. Oh, mate, what a choice. 
What a choice. What a film. I haven't watched that for a good few years either. So Yeah, I can't Looking remember the last time I watched it. But I'm really sort of we've we've got maybe like three or four episodes before we get into Christmas time, and I thought good to go back to an absolute classic because I think this is a this is one of those that's in that in that category, isn't it? Like, like everyone has seen it, everyone enjoys it. It's it's a, a good vintage. I love that. I love it's going to be fun revisiting Robin Williams' perfectly executed pastag. That's enough of that, Chief. You know how he calls him Chief <laughs> all the time. You're the shepherd. <laughs> yeah, I love, you mention I love my it. wife again. I will end you. You know, I will fucking end you. Oh, I love it, man. Can't, can't, can't wait. Can't yeah, wait. Um, that, just very quickly, I'm going to set this to the audience as a little challenge. Um, I've done my, I've done my, how I would get to scream to Goodwill Hunting, um, and it would be Ooh. Drew Barrymore Ooh. jumping to Cameron Diaz, Charlie's Angels. Uh, Cameron Diaz to Ben Stiller through something about Mary. Ben yep. Stiller to Jack Black, Tropic Thunder. Tropic Thunder to Shallow Howe and Jack Black to Gwyneth Paltrow. Gwyneth Paltrow to the talented Mr. Ripley uh, and Matt Damon in there. Well done. Nicely done, mate. What? What a what an like bizarre sort of like bizarre back catalogue. But it did get me thinking about the talented Mr. Ripley and what a film that was as well. Yeah. That's just absolutely incredible. But mate, what a pleasure! Enjoyed it again. Socials on screen. Get following. Get sharing. Share the pod. Go on. Give us some reviews. Give us some ratings. You know, get it going. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll come back to I desperately keen for us to come back to all of your comments so if we haven't come back to you nudge us you know at us and just in the same way that purdy added taylor swift to try and get her to respond <laughs> to our critique with the eyeballs emoji <laughs> thoughts at taylor swift yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he said but what if she responded imagine you're like fair play brilliant fair play brilliant shoot his, i love shoot, your film shooting a shot you know yeah, uh, classic. What a pleasure. All right, mate. I shall see you next time.